Hallelujah. Yes, so just keep them in your thoughts and your prayers this week. Um, I believe he's supposed to be going into surgery today to repair his knee and uh, his thumb. But it'll be a quick procedure. They'll be in and out, and then they'll be able to start pulling the tubes off and everything like that because they said, well, we don't want to take the, the tubes out just to put them back in for the surgery, so we'll leave them in and take them out once and be done. And so then he'll be able to rest a little bit more. He's a little bit agitated because who wants to sit there and breathe with a tube down your throat? So he's doing great, but keep them in your thoughts and your prayers. Welcome, everybody. It is long weekend. Woohoo! Anybody have any fun plans planned for this weekend? I know tomorrow I am just sitting around and doing nothing. You know, I've got a big wood pile out there, and I was thinking, you know, I should do that wood pile. I'm like, no, I'm going to sit there and do nothing, because we all deserve a day off sometimes, right? So I hope you guys have a fantastic long weekend. I just want to welcome all you joining us via the internet. Wherever you may be in the world, we just say welcome into our house, and we are here for you if you need it. Um, and I, I believe that where you are right now, you can pull on the Holy Spirit just as much as those who are sitting right here with me. And that means that you guys need to pull on the Holy Spirit, because when we come together as a body, it's not just you know, the message. God has a message specifically for you and what's going on in your life. And as you draw on the Holy Spirit, He can direct me to go in different directions that I didn't even plan on. You know, I've been finding the last few weeks as we were trying to do our series on faith that I'd plan out what, okay, this is the things I need to cover, and we'd get down to where I'm putting things together, and the Holy Spirit just starts pulling you in different directions, because He knows what you guys need. So put a demand on the Holy Spirit and say, Father, I need help. <laughs> Give me answers, and He'll get answers to you. And so we finished up our series on faith two weeks ago, and you're going to see that little pieces of that being played into what we're going to be doing for the rest of the year. But I want to start a new series this morning. And you can join me in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11. And it starts this way. It says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even, hold on a second, let's think about this for a second. Unusual miracles by the hands of Paul? I thought Jesus was the one who did all the miracles in the New Testament. You know, we don't often think or talk about all the other miracles we see through the book of Acts at the hands of Peter and at the hands of Paul, at the hands of Philip, all these things. Because the, what Jesus was doing here on earth was not just because he was the Son of God. He came and did what he did as a man empowered by God. And we do what we do every day because we are men and women empowered by God. And so they did, Paul did unusual miracles. And it says, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick. And the disease left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, that's a mouthful, took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And it says in verse 14, There were also seven sons of Sceva, who was a Jewish chief priest. What a, what a name is that, Sceva. I'm one of the sons of Sceva. You know, <laughs> great name. Um, and he was a, the Jewish chief priest, and he, they did this. He says, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the men, man whom the evil spirit was in leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So here this, this demon-possessed man, they come in and they, they try to 
get casted out by a God that somebody else serves. Not even their God. They're just playing around with it. And it overcomes them, strips them naked, beats them up, and sends them running out of the house. And it says, This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it was totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money, by the way. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So it's quite an interesting story that just kind of shows up out of nowhere in the, in the book of Acts in chapter 19. But the part that I want to focus on is what the demon said back to the sons of Sceva. He said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And so this morning I want to preach a message to you called Shake the Family Tree. You know, there is something that transpired in us when we gave our lives to Jesus. There was a, a completely shi a shift in who we were from what we used to be. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. I like how the, new, the old King James says it, that he's translated us into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love. And what that means is one moment you were right here, and then poof, you were over here. The only other time we see this played out in the physical is in the book of Acts when Philip was baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. It says that as they went under the water, when they came back up, Philip disappeared and was found several miles away. I think it was about 20 miles away in a different city. You know, that happened physically to Philip, but when you gave your life to Jesus, in an instant, you went from over here in the kingdom of darkness, over here into the kingdom of his dear son, the son of his love, and you had an identity change. You know, a lot of us relate to the background that we grew up with, whether it be Dutch, whether it be English, Irish, and Scottish, whether it be German, what doesn't matter. We often relate to our family tree and the heritage that we have come from. But you have to understand that's no longer your identity. You've been translated out of the kingdoms of past and into the kingdom of God. And so we need to begin to view ourselves not about how we have been raised and what we've always been. Yes, I'm a citizen of Canada, but I am also a citizen of heaven. Amen. And many Christians fail to believe, if we're going back to talking about faith, because they haven't the slightest clue who God is and who they are in relation to Him. So we're going to be doing a series now on your identity in Christ Jesus. Now, if we think back to our series on faith, John said this. He said, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we have asked of him. But John started with, this is the confidence we have in him. You can't be confident in something you don't know. 
You can't have confidence in yourself if you don't know your abilities. And you can't be confident in God if you don't know His abilities or His supply. So confidence really stems out of what you know. And if you don't know something, you won't be confident about it. You know, but John, he was confident. Because this is another statement that he made one chapter before. He said, I have known and I have believed the love that God has for us. So John didn't just leave it with something he knew. He took the knowledge that he had of who Jesus was and he believed it. And said, I recognize that you have an amazing love that is coming towards us, God, and I believe it. You know, Paul said something similar to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He said, nevertheless, I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him. You know, sometimes we have a little bit of confidence issues when we're believing God for things. Is he actually going to go through with it? Is he going to do what the word says? And our mind can play games and thinking, well, how can I make this come about? But Paul said, I know you, I believe you, and I'm persuaded that you can do what I've committed to you. When God says it, he counts it as done. And so we have to understand that if it's been put in his hands, he'll see it through. It's not up for us to make it happen. God is the one that does the work. And what do we do? We do the believing. So their knowledge of who they believed led them to discover who they were. So this morning, in this topic, I want to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And there's a great verse there that says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So I put emphasis on two words in that passage for you. That is, is and have. Now we have to understand in the context of this, what does is mean? It means this is your present state of being. It's not something that is going to happen. This is something that has already happened to those who are in Christ Jesus. The, you know, sometimes we put things off into future tense, the things that God has already declared done. And so he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That means you're a new creation, right? If you've received Jesus, you are. It's not something you will be when you get to heaven. It's something you are right now on this earth. New creation, meaning there was something that you were, and now you are something new. And it says, old things have passed away. Now, Jessica, Miss Teacher, what is have? Right now. Right. So it's not something that, again, is going to happen. You know, sometimes we look at our lives after we've received Jesus, and they don't often look much different than they did before Jesus. Because we haven't recognized that that has passed away. And we've still been living out of the reality of who we were rather than the reality of who we are now. When we accept Jesus, there needs to be a change of perspective. You're not the same being that you once were. You're in a new status of being, and it's the same one that Jesus was. 
You know, some people don't like to hear that. They want to put Jesus in a category of his own, but several times throughout the New Testament, it says that he was the firstborn among many brethren, meaning same type of kid. It's not like Jesus was the firstborn human and all the humans were the secondborn dogs. Now, some people like dogs. Maybe I should say cats. Everyone hates cats, right? <laughs> Vile beings. <laughs> Sorry if you're a cat person. I have no use for them. But there needs to be a perspective change. We don't need to be living our lives based upon our old human boundaries. We need to be living our lives based upon the God boundaries that he has set for us because we're a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now that statement in Christ is very important. Throughout the New Testament, mostly in the epistles, 140 times we find the statements in Christ, in him, in whom, through whom, by whom, because of, and all of these statements all talk about what we have become, something that Jesus has done for us, and now what we can do through him. They're very important uh, uh, passages. I encourage you to grab the book In Him by Kenneth Hagin. He pulls out all 140 of them for you to go through because if you don't know who you are, you won't act like who you are, right? If you don't know what's been given to you, you won't use it. I can go to Pete and say, Pete, I just deposited a million dollars in the bank. What's Pete going to do? He's going to go do a little spending. But now, if Pete doesn't know that I've done that, he's not going to do it, right? And again, you as a Christian are not going to walk in the benefits and the promises, as we were singing this morning, that God has given to you if you don't know what they are, if you don't know who you are. And so there's things that have been given to you that you are entitled to as children of Almighty God that you need to know about so that you can walk in. And so I want to do some confessions this morning. And so the verse said that if we're in Christ Jesus, we're a new creation. So let's say that this morning with me. Because I am in Christ, I am a new creation. We talked about during our sessions on faith that it's important to speak what God has said about the situation. And it's just as much as important to speak what you are. Because if you're not talking it and you're not believing it, you won't walk in it. So you are a new creation. Next verse I want to look at this morning. It says 2 Corinthians 5.21, just a few verses later. It says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So here he tells us something that took place. On the body of Jesus, he took upon all sin. Let's say this right now. Past, present, and future, because he's not coming to die again for what you may do tomorrow. He took it all upon himself. This is funny when people get hung up about sin. How many of your sins were future tense when Jesus died? All of them. Because he died 2,000 years ago, and you've only been living, you know, 80 years at the most in this room. So, all of your sins were future tense when Jesus died. 
And so we don't have to be worried about what we may do. He's already taken them all upon him. And that's the wonderful thing about the grace of God. He takes it all. So sin doesn't have to be an issue. You know, Paul said, should we continue in sin that grace should abound? He says, no, of course not. But we have to understand that when we do mess up, it's already been taken upon the body of Jesus. So there was a transaction that happened with Jesus. He had no sin. He knew no sin. He was perfect in his life. And he took on all of our mistakes and gave us his perfection. That seems like he got the short end of the stick. But that's okay. He took them to the grave. He killed them and he left them there. He's not carrying them around anymore. He bore them and he let them die. And so we need to let some of our past mistakes die. Just because you screwed up in the past doesn't mean you are now stopped from walking into your future in Christ Jesus. But he also says that because of that transaction, we might become the righteousness of God in him. The word righteous means fully justified, meaning if there were, this was a court case, we've been fully acquitted, meaning there is no repercussions that are going to come back to us because it's been declared dead done in the eyes of the law. And so when Jesus looks down at your life and God looks down at your life and the Holy Spirit who's active in your life is looking at your things, he's not going to pull things from your past out because you've been fully justified, fully acquitted because of you are in him. So let's make this declaration this morning. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. My standing is secure and my prayers are powerful. Now, why did I put that last section in? My prayers are powerful. Well, let's look at James 5 for a second. In verse 16, it says, The earnest, heartfelt prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. But hold on a second. We've been declared righteous. So that means you are righteous. That means that when you pray, there's power, great power. I like the Amplified says there's tremendous power available. But having something available and using it are two different things. Right now at your house, I'm pretty sure none of us live in the 18th century, so that there is probably a sink in your house that has some pipes hooked up to it that when you go home, you can turn the tap and water will flow out, right? The same thing is with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have a tap that you can turn on and turn off, that you can use or you cannot use. Now, we are all very happy that you use your plumbing and didn't come in here smelling like a garbage pile. Your neighbor really appreciates it. But how much more in the spiritual sense would we all begin to appreciate it if we would use the power that was available to us in Christ Jesus? In Romans 5.17, it says this, For the sin of one man, Adam, Cause death to rule over many. You know, everything screwed up on this earth goes back to Adam. You know, the reason why you need Jesus is not because you've been bad. It's because of Adam. And when you often share Jesus with people, you, this is the response I usually get. Well, you know, I've been a pretty good person. 
And it has nothing to do with how good or how bad you've been. It has everything to do with the first person screwed it up for you. But the second Adam came and fixed it. And so it says, for this... For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. I love the New King James Version of that. It says, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. What does it mean to reign? Reign has to do with royalty. When a king reigns, it means he sits upon the throne. He has all the resources of the kingdom at his backing that he makes the decisions. He decides what goes on and what doesn't go on within the kingdom. You need to start doing a little bit of reigning in your life because you've been set up as royalty. It says Jesus is the king of Kings, you're royalty. You're in the family of the best king that's ever been and ever will be. It's God and Jesus. And so there's some ruling and reigning that is available to you in your life because he sets you up as royalty. So let's make this confession this morning. I have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. I reign as a king in my domain in this life through Jesus Christ. Amen? We are meant to reign, and so I, for one, choose to do more reigning. Amen? Romans 8.37 says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, not through our own works and our own abilities, but through Jesus, we have been made more than conquerors. So let's make this statement. I am a conqueror. That's a good one. When you're feeling like you can't do it and you just can't get over the situation, remember, you are a conqueror. It's in your nature to do it. It's in your nature to overcome the obstacles that come before you. Here in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can't do it on your own ability, but through Christ and the work that he has done and now who you have become, there's nothing that you cannot do when he sets you off with his power and his direction and his purpose, right? So let's make this confession. Through Christ my Lord, I can do all things. He strengthens me. I cannot be conquered. I cannot be defeated. I can do all things. Why? Because you are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Ephesians tells us that we are his workmanship. And you know, I don't believe for one second that uh, God makes poor pottery. I don't believe he makes warp bowls holy cups, plates that break when you try to put food on them. I don't believe for a second that God is a poor workman. And so when he designed your life, when he designed you, he designed you perfectly, just the way he wanted. Oh, just think of the, the beautiful artistry that they put on some of that old pottery. They dig it up out of the ground and they look like, wow, they got nothing. Our artists are pretty poor today compared to what they used to. 
I'm serious. I've been to a lot of archaeological sites, and you see some of the things, and you're like, somebody did that with some dye and a stick? Now think of, in our context, God's got all the right tools, and he put exactly what you needed in your life to be his workmanship created unto Christ Jesus unto good works. Man, you're awesome. Because who did you become? Who did you become? Well, Romans chapter 8.15 says, you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Now that's a good place to start. A lot of Christians view themselves as God's servants. And Paul just tells us right here, you're not a fearful slave. You're not on this earth just to do God's bidding. Whatever he tells you to do, you just have to do it because he's the God and you're the servant. Actually, it couldn't be further from the truth. You do what God says to do because you know he has your best interests at heart. Because you're not the slave. You're not disposable. And Christians often view themselves as these inferior beings. But this couldn't be farther from the truth. The rest of the verse says, instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Yes. And we now call him Abba Father. My goodness. When you think about yourself in terms of being God's child, it changes your boundaries and the restrictions that you place upon it. In my house, Harrison wants food. I give him food. He doesn't even have to ask me, and he doesn't. I find him every morning. I'm sleeping, and I hear someone banging around. I guarantee you it's either Harrison and Bennett standing on the counter raiding the cupboard. Yesterday, we came out, and they're all sitting on the couch having suckers at 6.30 in the morning. They didn't ask. They just did it. Why? It's their house, too. I provide for my children. And God, our Father, Abba Father, is not a delinquent parent. He takes care of his children. He feeds them. He clothes them. He teaches them. He doesn't allow you to be a crazy rascal. You know, some kids get out of control. I have to rein mine in all the time. God's the same way. If you listen to him, he'll be like, don't do that. Please don't do that. Come on. You're setting yourself up for, for failure there, son, child. And he'll put you off in the direction that you should be going in. So we haven't been made fearful slaves you know, there was a popular song. It was popular for way too long. It was catchy. I am a friend of God. And, you know, Israel Houghton sung it really good. But I am not God's friend. I am God's son. There's a difference between being a friend and a son. A friend doesn't walk into the house and take whatever he wants out of the refrigerator. But a child does. And my parents are still suffering from the repercussions <laughs> of choosing to have six kids. And when we come over, we just help ourselves. Because we're part of the family, right? So I want you to say this with me. I am a child of God. I'm not a slave. I'm not a servant. I am a child of God. And when I wrote that down yesterday, when I was doing my notes... This next part came right up in my heart, so I know someone needs to hear it. I am not an accident. I am daddy's favorite. Some people feel like their lives have no purpose and like, what am I doing here? It's just all purposeless. 
No, you are not an accident. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He's got the promises that are all yes and amen for you. He doesn't have one kid who gets all the goods and the other that doesn't. God loves you so much. Say it with me. I am not an accident. My daddy's favorite. Says Romans 8.29 says, For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son. Let's just stop there for a second. Like His Son. So if we go back to 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. What is that new creation? Like His Son. So you want to know who you are and what you can do? Look at Jesus. It says, so that his son may be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And I love this next part. It says, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing. That's the righteousness we talked about. And then having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Now, glory isn't a word that we really use in modern English. But you want to know what it means in the Greek? It's the word doxazo, and it means to make glorious, to adorn with luster, to clothe with splendor, to impart glory to something and render it excellent. But the next definition I'm going to give you, I think, is probably the best one I've ever found. It says to cause the dignity and worth of some person to become manifest and acknowledged. When God's glory enters your life, it begins to show you your worth. And if you feel worthless, it's a lie of the devil. Go ahead and remember, he has filled you with his glory and he will show you his worth. Not only will he show you his worth, people will begin to see it around on you. God takes nobodies and he turns them into somebodies. You know, I was reading yesterday about Doc Horton. And uh, Doc, we had the privilege of having him probably about 15 years ago now in our church. And uh, he was an old man. It was just, he died a few years after we had him. But he tell, was writing in one of his books how he came back from World War II. He was injured and they sent him back. And his parents had died while he was away. And there was like eight or nine kids and he, being one of the older ones, had to take up caring for them. And he was completely illiterate. He hadn't made it past, I think it was grade seven. And uh, just, he felt like, how can I take care of these kids? I can't even read. I've been injured in the war. I, don't, I can't go out and get a job. And he just felt, he's like, go finish your school. And he was like, but I'm illiterate. I can't do this. I, and so he went to the high school. I think he was 28 at this point. And, uh, and he said, you know, I want to start taking some classes. And they're like, okay, well, how much high school do you have? He's like, none. He's like, the guy said to him, he's like, you know, just tell me you have one because then I can push you through and you can go take some college. He's like, no, I've got none. And so at 28 years old, he went back with all the other kids to high school. And they were asking him, so what courses do you want to take? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't even know how to read. And uh, he, so he heard some people in the hall talking about how if you get a chance to drop out of calculus, 
Get out of calculus. Nobody wants to take calculus. I think it's the same way, Jess. Nobody wants to take calculus. Jess took a lot of math. And so he went back to his student advisor and he said, I keep hearing everybody saying not to take calculus. I'm taking calculus. Because the Holy Spirit who is in me will teach me whatever I need. And so he went through and he aced calculus. And then he took all the calculus that they had and he took all his other class, got straight A's through high school, went off into college, into university, the only one that they had in their state that he was in. And uh, they asked him, what do you want to take? He's like, well, I seem to like calculus. <laughs> and so he took all the calculus they had and they said, we don't have any more calculus to take. He's like, well, I don't know what to take now. And they said, well, how about you try trigonometry? And so he went and took all the trigonometries and then all the geometries, and he took everything that he could, and he got A's, straight A's, and everything that he did. And God took an illiterate guy from a family of eight or nine kids. And you know what happened next? The space agency comes knocking at his door. Why don't you come work for us? We've seen your marks. We know you're exceptional. And he's thinking to himself, just two years ago, I was illiterate. And here's NASA knocking at my door. You know what he said? Sorry, I'm going to go be a preacher. (laughs) And he did. And he did that for all his life. But God takes people who have no business being where they are, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, He turns them into what he already sees in them. His kids, who are smart as smart can be. When we turn on the tap, God fills us with himself. Romans 8.16 says, For the Spirit joins, for his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share with his glory, we must also share his suffering. Now, when people read that, they're like, oh, great, I know what Jesus went through. He's not talking about you going to the cross. Jesus already did that once for every person. What he is talking about is in this world, there will be trials, there will be circumstances, but I like that the verse says, take care, he has overcome them all. And so, yeah, you're going to have some tests. You're going to have some trials. That's okay. He did too. And you will overcome. The next verse says, And yet what we suffer now is nothing to be compared to the glory He will reveal in us later. For all of creation is waiting eagerly for the day when God will reveal who His children really are. So, back to Acts 19. Jesus I know... And Paul I know, but who are you? Sons of Sceva couldn't answer that question because they didn't know Jesus. They were just trying to copy what they were seeing. But I guarantee you, all of the enemy knows your name. It's Pete, son of Almighty God. It's Gail, daughter of the Most High. And that goes for every one of us in here. They know your name. Jesus I know, Paul I know, and Pastor Jordan, I know exactly who you are. And it will react. 
because your dad's God of everything. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for that we are new creations in you, that you've created us to be exactly what you want us to be. And though on the outside it may look a little rough sometimes, we thank you that you always lead us into triumph. You always get us right to where we need to be when we choose to pull from that nature, the nature of who we are in Christ rather than who we are in this world. It doesn't matter how many times I've failed, I get up with God. Because you are all that I need, Daddy. And we thank you for it. So maybe you're here in this place this morning or you're watching us via the internet and you haven't made that step to make Jesus your Lord. You know, it's a gift. And what happens with a gift? If I want to give this to Jessica, I reach out. But what does Jessica need to do? She needs to take it. And so right now, where you are at home, don't wait another minute. If you're in this place and you need Jesus, don't wait another minute. Right now, reach out and grab. So right now, we're going to pray with you. And go ahead and pray with us. Father, I thank you for Jesus. And right now, I receive his gift. I call you my Lord. I call you my Savior. And God, I call you my daddy. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, if you made that prayer this morning, if you're at home, get in contact with us. We'd love to hook you up with a good church in your area. If you just made that declaration here in this place, we have some resources we'd like to put in your hands. Don't go another minute without Jesus. You guys are all blessed. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful holiday weekend! Woohoo! You're dismissed.